And uh, as you may or may not know, Kellen's uh, wife, Carla, is due any moment now. And so I asked him right before uh, he got up, I said, well, is, is it time? And he says, I don't know. I better check my phone. So she's at home uh, waiting. And uh, we've got a lot of ladies that are expecting children um, right now and in the coming months. I was uh, seated back in the coffee shop last week, and it was kind of like I had the Lord just speak to me and say, you know, there's going to be a lot of pregnant women coming through this church. And uh, many of you women right now are just shuddering with the thought of it, but I just thought, you know, isn't it neat how God just blesses? And I want to tell you something that, that we do um, at our Christmas Eve service, and we started this last year, um, or maybe it was a year before, I can't remember which, but we started a tradition of, of really trying to bless I think when we try to bless people, um, and we really go out of our way to do that, God really blesses us. And so uh, at our Christmas Eve service, we, we do take an offering, but what we do is we, we let everybody know that all of the, um, all the loose offering that comes in uh, goes to our single mothers, and we just ask our single mothers to come and, and be blessed, and we divide up whatever comes in, and we send them out, and if, you have a, if you're a single mom with a child at home, we want to help you. We want to be a, a place of ministry for you as well, because we know how difficult that can be, and, and we don't want to just uh, be taking in. We want to be giving back out uh, and blessing people. Um, and it's funny. I always get questions like, well, what if they don't go to this church and they show up? And then we bless them anyway. We just bless people. You know, when you bless people, God blesses you. And I love to give because of the way I feel when I give, and that's exciting. Um, I want to show you a, a couple of videos. The first one, uh, let me set up this way. Um, a little boy in our church named Mason. And have you ever had those questions from kids, you know, those theological questions that go way over your head? I mean, they think better questions and you can give better answers to, you know what I mean? So uh, Mason was sick and he stayed home and they watched live stream at home. Uh, as many people do every week, you know, several hundred people are watching live stream probably um, right now. But um, he was watching it, and uh, he asked the question, can we not get live stream for Sunday school? So now he's wanting us to move cameras into the Sunday school, into the children's area, and start live streaming. But the best thing was, when the sermon was done, and he was asked the question, what did Pastor Phil talk about? So we're going to show you reality right now. Here's Mason. Let's watch. What did Pastor Phil talk about? Um... That's it. That's it. That's as good as it gets. So if you ever have that moment right after the message and somebody says, what did he talk about? And you go, um, 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 we understand completely. Um, so I just love the reality of that. I love the fun of that. I love the innocence of children, and, and, uh, and I really do want to make my sermons better. I promise I want them to stay with you more than 20 minutes. But um, anyway, the second uh, video we're going to show you is actually a trailer from a recent movie called Left Behind. And as you know, we've, uh, we've been talking about uh, prophecy and current events and some of those kind of things in this series we've been in. And so what you're going to see is really kind of that, that immediate aftermath when the rapture takes place, that is when the church 
is taken up to be with Jesus, and the world is left without the presence of believers on earth. So let's take a look at this uh, video today and just kind of get a, get, kind of imagine what that biblical scenario might look like. Whenever I see a trailer, I instantly want to see the movie, don't you? I mean, people are going to rush out and say, I've got to go watch it now. You know, the thing that um, I began to think about with the rapture and the second coming, I went back and looked at it from a different perspective. I went, looked at it from a God perspective of why. Why? And I realized it was all about the presence of God in the life of the believer. You see, nothing makes a believer happier to be in the presence of God. Nothing bothers an unbeliever more than the presence of God. And what the rapture is, is the regathering of God's people with the Father who wants us to be in His presence and wants us in His presence. Now, when you take the book of Revelation, and what I want to do is take a very different approach to the second coming that I've ever taken before, and I want you to think about this word, the presence, the presence of God. In Revelation chapter 1, we see the promise that's given in the book of Revelation itself, and here's the promise. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, what I want you to notice about that passage is this. You are blessed by God simply when you read the book of the Revelation. You are blessed by God when you hear the words from the book of Revelation. You are blessed by God when you keep the things that are written. You see, it's the only book in the Bible that gives the promise of a blessing simply for hearing it, for reading it, and for keeping it. There are those blessings scattered throughout Scripture, but this one says, if you simply hear it read, you can be blessed. Now, a lot of people shy away from Revelation because they don't understand it, and especially when you hit about chapter 6, things start getting kind of gnarly, and you're going to go, what's going on in here, right? I mean, there's a lot of bulls and judgments and, and strange creatures that are happening, and that is the tribulation period. So if you can take the book of Revelation, divide it into thirds. Think about Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. Act 1, what's going is God is setting up the time of the tribulation. He's taking us through church history, bringing us right up to the time of tribulation. Then in chapter 6 through 19, verse 10, he's giving you this picture of, of what the earth is like when Christians are absent, when man is free to do what man wants to do and thrive in the midst of lawlessness. Chapter 19, verse 11 and following is a third act, if you will, and that's the return of Jesus Christ, eternity, and heaven and hell. And so everything is kind of laid out. So if you want to kind of avoid that middle section for a moment, you can go home and you can read the first five chapters, then jump to chapter 19, verse 11, and you can say, okay, now I kind of get the beginning and I get the end. Now I'm ready to go in and begin to tackle the middle. What if you just read it and you don't understand it? You're still blessed. What if you read it or someone reads it to you and you hear it? You're blessed. You see, so God has an amazing way of putting these pieces together. 
Now, when God wants to get his message to us, guess what he does? He uses prophets. So let's look at this. God speaks through prophets. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now that's encouraging because of this. Because now I can read the prophets. I can read in the word of God prophets like Isaiah or Amos or Ezekiel or Daniel. And guess what? God is giving us glimpses into the future. So when I want to know something, the word of God is the best commentary on itself. So I read the prophets. What did the prophets say about this period? What did the prophets say about Israel? What did the prophets say about the future and the coming days? And it's laid out in Scripture. So what we want to do is take you on a bit of a journey, if we can, today. And the first thought I want you to have is this. God intended for man to live in his presence. That was God's purpose. Now, when you open your Bible, what you find is in chapter in the early chapters there of the book of Genesis... God is with man in the garden. Now, fast forward. That's chapter 2 and 3, Genesis. Fast forward, let's go now to chapters 21 and 22. Guess what? God is with man in the garden. So you've got a garden at the beginning, a garden at the end. You've got God with man in the beginning, God with man in the end. All of the Bible between Genesis and Revelation is God's process of working with man through history, bringing him from paradise that was lost into paradise that is regained. And so everything in between there is the story of man. God's trying to intervene in the life of man and get man to a place to where he understands what God is all about. So God creates Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are in the garden, and all of a sudden God gives us a very serious command. He says, you can eat from every tree that is in the garden except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the day that you eat of it, guess what? Your eyes are going to be opened, you're going to know sin, and you're not going to be happy with that. So they go into the garden, and what's the first one they're attracted to? Just like you when you're driving down the highway, you see the speed limit, and what's the first thing you do? Oh, they're not serious. And you say, I can go five over, I think, and it's safe. Now, what is it inside of us that wants to do that? It is because by nature, by nature, we have stepped away from righteousness and we always want to push everything to the extreme. We want to see what we can get away with. Well, guess what? Adam and Eve are in the garden. They think, you know, you think we can get away with eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve says, you know, sounds good to me. Adam sounds good to me. They eat of the tree. And guess what? What's the first revelation they have? They're naked. They didn't know they were naked before that. All of a sudden, there's a realization about who they are, and they start to experience shame and guilt and all kinds of stuff that gets layered upon them that they didn't expect. You see, Satan tempted them in a way and said, you know, in the day that you eat of it, guess what? You're going to be like God. You're going to know good from evil. They didn't know what that meant. That meant all of a sudden, they're going to find, they're going to evaluate their life on a scale of is this good or evil? They're going to start look at everyone around them. Are they good or evil? They're going to begin to take a look at themselves and feel inadequate. They're going to look at themselves and say, you know what, maybe I don't measure up to God. What do I do? And God says, you could have had eaten from the tree of life. And from the tree of life is going to be blessing and it's going to, you're going to feel good about life. And so, you see, what God does is he brings man back to the tree. 
He brings man back to the tree of life. It's called Calvary's tree. And it's from that tree that we eat life. And God begins the restoration process of bringing us from shame and guilt and embarrassment before God. He brings us into restoration with God by that tree. God had a plan all along to bring man then back to Revelation where we find out there's the garden again. And guess what's in the garden? The tree of life. Guess what's not in the garden? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not there. And God says these tree, this tree of life, and there's 12 trees that line that, that river that leads to the throne of God, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. You know why? Because after you've gone through life, you need healing. You need the comfort of God. You need the joy of God. That's why it says in Scripture that God will wipe every tear from our eye. What are those tears from? I think they're tears of sorrow of what we experienced in life. I think they're a reflection of, wow, it's finally over. I don't have to face cancer. I don't have to face alienation. I don't have to face shame anymore. I don't have to feel like I'm not accepted or I'm not part of that group or, or I can't succeed. It's all gone. And there are tears, and it says Jesus is there to wipe the tears from our eye. You see, God intended man to live in his presence from the very beginning. But sin interrupted his presence. Now let me show you this from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. They've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and look what it says. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Now that word presence there, it literally is the word that means the face of God. They hid themselves from the face of God. Have you ever kind of felt guilty about something, done something, you thought, you know, I'm not proud of it, and you kind of didn't want to face God, so to speak. You just didn't want to talk to God, didn't want to relate to God at that moment. You see, that's what was happening there. But isn't it interesting, the presence in that Hebrew word is the word the face of God. It literally is the face of God. Guess what? The Greek word that's translated in the book of Revelation his coming, it literally in the Greek, it means the face of God. It means the presence of God. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Guess what happens in his presence? Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11. In his presence, and here it is, that word presence, the face of God. In the face of God is fullness of joy. So when I get into the presence of God, what do I find? I find joy. When I leave the presence of God, what do I find? I find trying to, trying to function on my own happiness, my own joy, my own strength or whatever. But when I get in his presence, guess what? Joy comes to me. And then it says this, and at his right hand. Now watch this. This is very interesting if you know scripture very well at all. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know who's seated at the right hand of the Father? Jesus. Here's what it says. In his presence, in the presence of the Father, is fullness of joy. At his right hand, Jesus pleasures forevermore. You see, the Father shows you this position of Christ, and he says, and in Jesus, there's, there's pleasures forevermore. How about Exodus chapter 33 and verse 14? Here's Moses. Moses doesn't really know how he's going to pull off all that God has told him to pull off, and he says, uh, my presence shall go with you. He says to Moses, my face is going to go with you. You ever heard people say, you got to put on your best face? 
okay? How about a woman's got to do her face, right? How about face off? Think about all the ways, the little idioms we use to describe this idea of being in the presence. Get out of my what? Face. You're too close, right? You see, it says in Scripture that God was face to face with Moses. He got up close to him. You ever got up, somebody got too close to you, a close talker? We got a couple of close talkers in the church. You know, and, I'm, and I find myself doing this, doing this all the time, right? You know, you know who you are. Oh, they're in the first service. All right, but, but you see, the idea is you, you get face to face. You get too close, right? Well, God is one person you want to get too close to. You want to get face to face with God. You want to see. You know, the one thing that happens when you get face to face really close with someone, you really see them. You really feel them. You really sense their presence. You ever been in a room and you just felt like somebody just walked into it? You ever been in a restaurant and you felt like somebody was staring at you? Uh, A few months ago, I got an email from somebody and they said, uh, hey, I was in a restaurant and you and your wife were in your restaurant and I didn't say anything because I wanted to see how you acted. (laughs) You're like a spy. Are you kidding me? Right? And so I was so glad to see that you prayed before your meal. And I thought, had I not prayed before my meal... I would have not measured up. Isn't that amazing? Now it makes me want to pray at the end. Just to see if I get an email. I responded back and I said, well, I'm glad I passed the test. Thank you for watching out for me. All right? But but isn't it interesting that people are always watching and evaluating on the basis of what? Good and evil. Do you measure up to who, what I think you should be? I learned a long time ago, I'm human. Have you figured that one out yet? When you figure it out, you can sleep better at night. You can allow God to work in you and through you, and you don't try to live up to some false standard. You operate out of the tree of life where there's always gifts. We need to return to the presence of God. I love this scripture from Hosea. You know, Hosea is an interesting prophet because his wife began to play the role of a harlot. And he was a prophet. And you know, that that doesn't just kind of work well for prophets of the Bible. Your wife has now gone off and become a prostitute. And and God says to Hosea, I want you to go after your wife, and I want you to speak tenderly. And he uses a word, I want you to whisper in her ear. And I want you to bring her back. Hosea, he's shocked by this whole thing. I said, do you know what my wife has done? Do you know who my wife is? Yes, I want you to whisper her, and love her back into relationship with you. He says, I can't do it. And then God says, why? He gives him that illustration. He says, so will I do with the nation of Israel who has played the part of a harlot, and they've gone after strange gods. Do you know what God does when you stray from him? He whispers in your ear and says, I love you. He brings you back into relationship, back into that loving relationship because you know what? He knows that we have a tendency to go away from him. But listen to what it says in Hosea. Come, let us return to the Lord. I love this scripture. You ought to jot this one down. It's just powerful. Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn, but he will heal us. You ever had God tear something out of your heart? You ever God show you something and it revealed something to you? It says he is torn, but guess what? God's going to heal you. Do you need healing from God? God will heal you. God will restore you. 
He has stricken, but he will bind up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. You see that word sight right there? It's literally the face of God. It's the same Hebrew word. That we can live in the face of God. When God brings you back, he brings you back so you can be in his presence. And Hosea goes on to say, let us know and let us pursue the knowledge of God. His going forth is established in the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rain on the earth. The illustration is God is going to be like fresh rain. God is going to be rain that comes early. God is going to be like rain that comes late. God is always going to be watering. God is always going to be blessing. God is always going to be reaching down. This rare occasion here in California when we get a little bit of rain, you know, I, I got up this morning and I looked out and I saw the, the sidewalks were wet and I thought, gee, I wonder if my sprinklers aren't working right. Never occurred to me it could actually rain in California. But we came from a place on the East Coast where that's all it did was rain, rain, and serious rain. You know, and then I drove up this morning with a little bit of humor, and our parking team were out there with umbrellas, and I thought, this is classic. This is classic. I hope we didn't spend a lot of money on those things because we need to get them at the dollar store no more than we use them. But the rain, God, when God brings refreshment to you, and it says he's going to come to you like rain. Do you need some rain in your life? You need some refreshment in your life? You need to, God, I just, I'm, I'm weary, I'm tired. God, I've worked so hard. I got him worn out. I'm this, I'm that. I, I just don't know how to function. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had a number of different people who have visited our church, and, and they really come with a heavy heart. And they said, you know, something like, I was really trying to find some hope Thank you for giving me some hope. One family this morning came and just said, hey, I'm the guy that's been emailing you, and I just want to know thank you, God, thank you for, for what you've said about bringing hope back to our family and bringing joy back. You see, that's what it's about. When you start getting in this family of God, it's about coming together and being an encouragement to one another and allowing God to just start to bless you and begin to start minister grace upon grace to you. Now let's go to the second coming. What it's going to do, it's going to reveal the presence of God. What is the second coming going to do? It's going to let us see the presence of God. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over all the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, who washed us from our sins in his own blood, and now notice what it says in verse 6. And made us to be kings and priests to his God and Father. Do you know that when you're saved, do you know what, how God looks at you? He looks at you like a priest. Now let me explain that. A priest can go before the Father with his own sins. You see, you don't have to go through a priest. You are a priest in the kingdom. You're a royal priesthood. So there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so when I go, I go simply to Jesus. I confess my sins to him, and that is my one mediator. And then it says we're kings. That means we're part of this royal family of God, that God has brought us in and he has made us a king, and he has made us heirs with Jesus and, and heirs of God in the kingdom of God. And it says to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Now notice what it says, and every eye will see him. Every eye on planet earth will see him, even those who pierced him. 
Now, what's amazing about this scripture is it tells us that people who are already dead and people who are living and people in the future are going to see him when he returns. Those who pierced him were who? Those who crucified him at Calvary. It says they're going to see Jesus when he comes. And then it tells us here that every eye will see him. That is eyes now. The people who see him now, they're going to see if you're alive at the coming of Christ, uh, uh, you see, you're going to, and you're not a believer, you're going to see him. And it even says those of us who are with God are going to see him when he comes, even those who pierced him. But notice what happens. The tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. You ever seen somebody's face that brought back a bad memory? You ever seen somebody that did you wrong and that you saw their face? Might have been on Facebook, might have been in a mall, might have been somewhere, and instantly what did it do? It brought to your mind what? The heartache of the past. It brought the challenges of the past. And you went through this emotional thing in your heart right then, and you began to say, oh no, and maybe, maybe you were the one who offended, or maybe they were the one that offended you. Maybe you were the one that did them wrong, or they were the ones that did you wrong. But when you saw their face instantly, it brought emotion to you. The Bible says that when Christ comes, those who've rejected him will have that emotional experience. They will see him and they'll go, oh no, I was wrong about Jesus. Oh no, how do I reverse the course of my life? And it says all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, uh, amen, I am the alpha and the omega. Jesus said I'm the beginning and I'm the end. Who is, who was, and who is to come. You see, I was there before creation. I am here now, and I will always be. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last letter in the, in the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning and the end. And guess what? When you're going through trials, when you're going through difficulty, guess what? God is there at the beginning. He just doesn't feel like it. You ever notice that? I don't feel like God's anywhere to be found right now. Where is God? He's there. Then you're in the middle of it, and you go, I don't think I can take anymore. Where's God? He's there. Then you get to the end of it, and you're just finally starting to come out of it, and you go, God, I'm glad you finally showed up, we'll oftentimes say. Oh, he was there all along. It wasn't that he wasn't there. It wasn't that he wasn't working. You just didn't see the way he worked or what he was doing behind the scenes to bring you to the place where you could find fulfillment, where you could find completion of that trial you went through. He was, and he is, and he will come. When Moses was there, remember at the burning bush in, in Exodus chapter 3, and, and he said, and all of a sudden this voice began to talk out of this bush. He said, well, who shall I say sent me? Just tell him the I am. He used the present tense. You see, God is always your present tense help in a time of trouble. doesn't matter what's going on in your life. God is always there. Let's go to Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. It says here, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks and in the mountains, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. What was the problem? It was the presence of God that brought those feelings. It was the face of God that brought those feelings. You see, what brings you comfort in life, if you don't know God, 
brings you discouragement and defeat. So God wants us to understand what's the second coming all about? It's about us coming into the presence of God. It's about us coming face to face with God. And sometimes when you're in a time of prayer and you're just praying, God, I just need, I need to see your face, or God, I need to know what you want. When you stay in the presence of God, God always will come to you. When you don't know how to pray, sometimes you don't even know what words to say. The Bible says when you don't know what words to say, the Spirit of God inside of you, he speaks to you in words that you can't even understand. He begins to minister to you. He brings you into his presence. And then, remember, what we talked about in the beginning was that there was a garden in the beginning and a garden at the end. There was a presence of God in the beginning and a presence of God in the end. Let me take you to Revelation chapter 21 because eternity will seal his presence. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Here's what John said he saw. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have what? Passed away. The things that are heavy in your heart right now, one day they're going to be gone. The things that discourage you right now, one day they're going to be gone. The former things are gone. Because guess who you're in the presence of all the time? You're in the presence of God all the time. He says, I will be with you. My face will be there with you. I will guide you. I will walk with you in all of these things. Let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. His presence, that is the face of God, is always accessible. Right now, his face is accessible. His presence is accessible. His presence changes everything. When, I don't, when I'm not in the presence of God, life is a little bit on the boring side. Life becomes a little bit religious for me. And all I have to do is I just have to step into the presence of God. God, I just, would you just bring your presence to me right now? God, would you just, and even now, while you're, while you're just standing or sitting where you are, just, just say something like this. Holy Spirit of God, bring your presence. Let me sense your presence right now. Would you just bring a wave after wave of your spirit over me right now? Spirit of God, would you let me just see the face of God right now and just begin to pray and just invite the Spirit of God to be in the presence. Sometimes when I'm discouraged, defeated, I'll just say that. I'll just say, God, I don't really know how to work my way through this situation. Would your presence just guide me right now? Would you fall on me? Would you bring me into an awareness of who you are? Would you allow me to experience the presence of God? I found that his presence comes in waves. It's not always constant. It comes in waves, and sometimes God overwhelms me with his presence, and sometimes I feel like I, I'm desperately looking for the presence of God. That's normal. Don't feel like you're missing something if you, if you don't live continually 100%, seven days, 24 hours a day in his presence. What you have to do is be aware when there's, a, there's an, an, an emptiness and say, God, I just want to be in your presence. I want to be, I want to be a life giver everywhere I go. 
I was standing in line at a coffee shop here a couple of weeks ago, and uh, as I was standing there, I was listening to the conversations around me. And all the conversations had to do with the same thing. I don't like my job. I'm out of work. I'm out of money. My kids, my family, everything was negative. And I was sitting there, and as I listened to it, guess what my mind started doing? I started thinking, yeah, me too. And I began to think about stuff that was wrong, and I was, guess what? I was in the presence of that negativity. And it was affecting me, and it was surrounding me, and it was, it was, then it was directing my path. It was controlling what I did and what I thought and where I was going, and I thought to myself, enough of this. And so I faked something. Have you ever faked getting on the phone? Anybody ever fake getting on the phone? Okay, I got to admit, I got to confess right now, I fake getting on the phone. I picked up my phone, and I said, yeah, what's going on? Oh, you know what? I'm just enjoying the presence of God. I just want to, you know, really? Yeah. Well, you know, I was just thinking about how great it is to know Jesus and to be in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, I could see people, because I was talking loud enough to be heard. And I could see people in the line, they start, they were affected. The guy right in front of me, he turned around and gave me the, you know, gave me the stare down. Look, like, what are you talking about here? Well, this is a guy that's throwing everybody under the bus, right? And I'm just saying, yeah, and, oh, hey, how you doing? And, uh, you know, and I just, God is just good. I just thank God for, thank God for God every day of my life. And I, all of a sudden, the murmur began to stop. You know why? It wasn't me. It was the presence of God. I didn't know how else to do it in that situation but to fake a conversation. I just didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, I realized that even in that situation, what I was doing, I was ministering grace to people by just bringing up the name of God. Let's stand together. I just want to pray with you right now. And I want to ask that you will ask God just to bring you into his presence right now. I want you to think of the one thing right now that bothers you the most. Is it a lack of friendship? Is it your job? Is it your lack of job? Is it a shortage of money? Maybe the thing that's really bothering you right now is your physical health. Maybe it's your past. Just think of the one thing right now. What is it? What is it right now that is weighing you down? Now I want you just to hold that thought for a moment, and I want you to move to another thought. Now I want to invite, I want you to invite the presence of God into that thought. Face of God, I invite you into this problem into this thought, into this situation, face of God. Would you go face to face with my problem? Would you just get in the middle of my situation? Face of God, I can't handle it. I've gone face to face with my problems and I still come back wounded, defeated, and hurt. Face of God, would you stare down my situation? my problem? Would you just bring a wave after a wave of joy and power into my situation? Just invite, personally right now, just invite the Spirit of God to take that one thing you've identified and just insert the face of God into that situation.
God told one of his prophets that when his glory passed by, he could not see his face. He could not handle it, but he could see the back as he passed by. I want you to imagine that right now, that Jesus is facing, God is facing your problem. And all you see is the back of God. And there's comfort there. It's like hiding behind a parent. It's like being sheltered from a storm. It's like releasing the situation so that somebody else can handle it because you can't. And all you have to do is wait. You just wait there. You don't push God out of the way and try to handle it again. That didn't work last time. You're letting him get face to face with your situation, with your problem. Now I want you just to take a step back and just rest you've just given the problem to God he's going to handle it he's going to take care of it Jesus said when you're weary and heavy laden come unto me and you'll find rest for your soul you don't rest with a clenched fist you don't rest with a sorrow and frown upon your face Maybe you rest by just leaning back and crossing your arms and saying, Jesus, I know you've got this one. If you've done that, would you just thank him right now for taking that situation, that person, that problem, that circumstance, that difficulty, that trial, whatever it is, you're just watching God handle it now. So band plays. I want you just just right now to get that mental picture. Say it over and over again as many times as you need to. Jesus, I'm releasing it. Jesus, I'm releasing it. You're protecting me. I stand behind you as you face my problem. As I'm in your presence, my problems become small. 